Good morning, my brothers and sisters. You are tuned in to the worship service of the Greater Little Zion Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Murphy, and we welcome you to this wonderful worship experience. Sit back now and enjoy our music ministry as they will come and share with you from the spoken word by way of song, and I'll come back and share with you in the preaching of God's word. Be blessed as the word of God blesses your spirit. He's 
morning, Zion. If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 4 through 12. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 12 is going to be our text this morning as we consider and continue our study in 1 John as this apostolic writing is communicating to its Christian community. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his neighbor. But this is the message which you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and killed his brother. And for what reason did he kill him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's deeds were righteous. I want to preach this morning from the subject, keep working on it. Keep working on it. When we take a look at the Old Testament and we'll quickly discover as you read through the Old Testament journey that Israel is a clear demonstration of how difficult it is to walk in faithfulness, to walk in obedience, to walk without falling, to walk without getting sidetracked or being distracted to the point of negligence or simply just failing to do what we have promised God we would do. Notice that God brings revival, renewal to Israel in 1 Kings chapter 18, and yet just a few years later, they are back worshiping Baal to which they were delivered from before. Jonah preached to Nineveh, and in return, he turned that city upside down in Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 through 5 and yet Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 through 8 tells us that years later the city returned to its pagan ways and was eventually swept away by the Babylonians. We can get a clear misunderstanding. It can arise very easily when one reads Romans chapter 8 verse 1 through 8 And this text of 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 through 12. Merely because Romans suggested I'm free, while 1 John 3 suggested I'm condemned back 
to what I have been freed from. In fact, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 through 12, on the surface, has a way of making one feel lost, particularly every time they are engaged in some sin or missing the mark. They feel doomed and defeated. But John is not really condemning per se. He merely wants you and I to know that this kryptonite, that sin to which I alluded to at the beginning of this series is still alive and well, but yet as Christians, we have the ammunition to fight it. You and I have what we need to overcome what John really is describing as habitual and continuous sin. John wants you and I to know that walking and practicing righteousness really means we have come to master sin in our lives. We end up controlling sin in our lives and we're not permitting the spirit of lawlessness to control us. That's what he says right here clearly in verse four of chapter three, that everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and lawlessness is sin. And we know that we can't live a life of complete perfection. In fact, when we read the Bible, no one has a perfect life without sin. All you have to do is listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained, neither was I already perfect. In other words, I'm working I'm working on my salvation. I'm working on my life of holiness. I'm working on my life of righteousness. It's a daily occupation that I don't yet have completely perfected. But he encourages us in his own way that you have to keep working at it because sanctification is a process for progress. It's also a contradiction when someone suggests that we can live a life without sin, it's a contradiction to what John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Since we have come to that conclusion, now the question is, how do we interpret these verses. So here's what I want you to do. I want us to watch what John describes as first the provision of the Savior. He wants to make clear that God has given us Jesus for the sole purpose of wiping away the eternal penalty for what sin does, death. He says that the key to understanding this again is in verse 4. This word practice or practicing because there's a difference between someone who knows law and someone who practices law there's a difference between someone who misses the mark because they have a bad aim or someone who misses the mark because they have a weak bow bad aim could refer to not developing your Christian eye to learn how to hit the target while a weak bow may refer to not exercising 
our spiritual muscles to grow that we might be strong enough to hit the target every single time. That word lawlessness that John uses literally means no law at all. And listen to what he's trying to suggest. It denotes rebellion. It denotes purposeful deniance or defiance of God. And John is saying that Christians don't live without boundaries, but they know that they have boundaries, not to say that they don't cross those boundaries, but he's contending that Christians don't walk as if they don't have any boundaries. In fact, in verse 5, he makes it clear. He says, this is the reason why Jesus came. Verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sin and that in him there is is no sin. Why is that important? Because John says Jesus came to rid us of a certain kind of behavior and a certain kind of mentality to provide for us that empowerment to walk in the spirit as Paul says in Galatians 5 and by walking in the spirit we get the empowerment to resist temptation. Listen to what Paul says for us in terms of how to do this and how the master, the savior, has been provided to give us that provision. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 in the Message Bible. Listen to how Eugene Peterson words this. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. Here's the clear message that Paul is advocating. You're not the only one who struggled at walking in a life of righteousness with God. Just read the Bible. You'll come then to realize that all of these persons to whom over the years, centuries, we've advocated as so righteous have had some very unrighteous moments and he says that all you need to remember is that God will never let you down God will never let you be pushed past your limit he'll always be there to help you come through it so whenever that moment comes when I'm about to cross that line it's a simple expression of a prayer Lord I need your help right now. It's recognition that I'm in a weak moment. I'm being challenged by temptation and I need somebody, some strength other than myself to push beyond this moment of temptation. And what John is saying that the father has already made provision in the son. The savior has come to make sure we're not tripped up or defeated by that challenge of the temptation. There's not only the provision of the Savior, but in verses 3, in chapter 3, verse 6 through 9, there is the practice of the saints. Listen to what John says in verse 6. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this purpose 
that he might destroy the works of the devil. John is not talking about isolated sin. He's not talking about every now and then you fly off the handle or you say the wrong thing or you do the wrong thing or you think the wrong thing. John is talking about a habitual, continuous practice of a particular behavior that is contrary to Christian scripture. He's referring to that which is deliberate, that which is ongoing, that which is a violation. In fact, he's saying when you allow yourself to get into that habit, Satan is more influential in your life than God because he's controlling you to violate the word of God. And John is saying that is not the case in the life of a Christian. Instead, we should be practicing habitual, ongoing, deliberate practice of righteousness. That's the aim. And you can hit that aim, says John, every single time when you direct your mind to the things of God. So that's the reason why we underscore Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's a plea by Paul. That not only you present yourself as a living sacrifice, a presentation to God by way of surrender, but be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. In other words, John says to really walk in righteousness and to not allow yourself to engage in habitual sin, your mind has to be renewed daily. Because Satan is always on the attack to destroy your mind because your mind is the center of who you are. He controls what you're going to do, where you're going to go, how you're going to think. And that's where Satan is going to attack because the practice of the saints is to be renewed by the spirit of God and to walk in the lane of righteousness so that God would be glorified in all that we say and do. Says Jesus in Matthew 5, we are not only the salt of the earth, but we are also the lights in the earth. And God is saying to us, I need for you to walk righteously so when people see you, they can see the good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. So John says, keep working at it because there is the provision by the savior. There is also the practice of the saints. But then he says in verses 10 through 12, there's the presence of the spirit. And the example that he gives us in terms of the presence of the spirit happens to be the reference to Genesis chapter 4, the life of Cain. Cain's treatment of his brother Abel. He's contending that the presence of love should tower over the presence of sin. The destructive measure that can injure and even lead to the outcome of death. When you read Genesis chapter 4, you, you find out that Cain is tremendously upset. But notice, he's not upset with Abel, but he's upset with God. And rather than to voice 
his difference, his concern to God in the case of Job. Where is he that I might plead my case before him? He delivers his anger. Evil has stirred him to outpour his anger on his brother Abel, and he kills him. And Cain permitted his evil to lead him to take his disappointment out on Abel that eventualized in death. It's analogous to permitting sin and its temptation to rule his moment instead of allowing God to rule his moment. In fact, God says to him, listen, if you were coming to me with a pure, righteous heart, I would give you the same response as I gave Abel. But because of what you're doing, there's an interesting phrase in Genesis 4, sin crouches at the door. In other words, God says to Cain, you're on the verge of crossing the line, and he does. When God comes back and asks him, where is your brother? Because I hear his blood crying from the earth. There is a conviction in Cain's spirit, his consciousness, when he says, who am I? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. And that tells us what happens when we are not controlled by the spirit of God, and yet we're controlled by the spirit of evil. But you may say, after hearing that, Pastor, I'm still having trouble with overcoming issues of habits, issues of not doing righteous. And I want to suggest to you that this text helps us understand, as John says, beginning in verse 10, that we are not to give up, but to keep working at it. Listen to what he says. By this... First of all, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. And anyone who doesn't practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He slips that in there. Now, his theme is running through this letter about loving and caring and supporting and helping one another. But he slips this in there while we're talking about sin doesn't fit to me. It's as if it's out of context. But listen to what he says in verse 12. Not as Cain, who was the evil one, slew his brother. But why did he do it? Because his, his deeds were rooted in the wrong space. Now, I'm, I'm not really sure why um, John uses the plural on deeds. Because we only have one action of Cain, and that's in Genesis 4, nothing else. So how do we know that Cain had an ongoing problem with his evil, which may be a bad behavior, or he may have a bad attitude, or he may not have self-control? How do we know that? This is just one episode. Surely you and I don't want to be judged off of one episode. Or is John inferring? that we have to watch what we find ourselves habitually doing. Lest we are depicting a life of the devil instead of a life 
of the glory of God. So let me give you three solutions why I think I'm going to constantly encourage you that you need to keep working at building your life of righteousness as you go through this journey with God. Why would we do that? Number one, because there is effort in your DNA. That's right, there's effort in your DNA. Because of the Savior, you have within you the tenacity to keep working at it even when you fall. I want you to understand several things about this spiritual life. Here it is. Number one, remember this, that our new life is in seed form. You've got to get this. My new life in Christ is in a seed form. I'm not fully developed yet. I'm still growing. You're still growing. We are in a seed form. Listen to verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, that seed abides in us, but that seed still is in a growing form. That's why Paul says, I have not yet attained. You and I are still growing in this walk with God, and it requires the process of growth. This is right, a writer of Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 1, listen to the text in the Living Bible translation. Listen to what it says, because this is, this is on point. It says, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. Now, listen to that closely. So that requires for me to make an examination which means that I have to make an effort of looking at where I am and who I am and what I am becoming. And the writer says, let's strip off, let's get rid of what keeps slowing us down and what keeps holding us back. Then he says, especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. That's life changing because that lets me know I absolutely cannot live based on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I can't live a life of perfection and that God has already made it clear I know you won't live a life of perfection. I know every now and then you're going to make some mistakes, but I don't want you to get in the habit of living in a space that's not glorifying to me, says God. That's why the writer says those sins that wrap themselves, and when they wrap themselves around your feet, there's an intention. Not only to trip you up and make you fall, but to keep you down while you are down. And So John says, Keep working at it because in your DNA, inside of you, is a spirit of effort. That means I got to work on it day in and day out until I perfect or get rid of what's trying to slow me down and hold me back. Paul calls that, in Romans 7, he calls that unredeemed humanity. And that's important because this is why Christ, once again, when he returns... His return will completely eradicate who we are and the sin issue will no longer be. But in the meantime, while we are still here, we've got to continue to repent, 
We've got to continue to renew and we've got to continue to replenish. We've got to work on this thing with God and we do that by making effort. Keep working on it because effort is in your DNA but also keep working on it secondly because endurance is in your DNA. You can't quit because you've disappointed God and yourself. You want to look at a, uh, someone who, fall, who fell down and you would think would stay down but somehow managed to always get up. Look at the life of Peter in the New Testament. Check this out. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13 and concluding at verse 19, he gives that great theological declaration about the church when he asked a question by Jesus, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then two verses later, in verse 21, Jesus recognized that Satan was at work in Peter. Did you get that? He makes a declaration of who Christ is in the earlier verse. And then two verses later, Jesus says, Satan is on the inside of you working. But this is a follower of Jesus. And I think that scenario tells us, as our grandparents would say, the devil is busy, constantly at work, trying to find a way to trip up the redeemed person of God, trying to live right. And you know, whenever you try to live right, that's when you have your greatest challenge. It's not when you're not living right, when you're not living right, nobody's even conscious of what you're doing, but when you're trying to live right, the devil pulls it on and on and on and on. And yet, when it came to Peter, he failed at a critical moment in Jesus' journey when he's standing before those who came to arrest him and Peter denied him. And yet, when you open up the book of Acts, chapter 2, it's Peter that Jesus uses to preach at the day of Pentecost. I'm here to tell you that I recognize we have problems in our life. Sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're super bad. But don't ever give up. Because in your DNA is not only effort to correct it, but there's endurance to correct it because it may not be done overnight. You didn't start doing this behavior just overnight, but over time. And to correct some measures, sometimes it takes time to make that correction. John says in verse 8 that Satan can tempt you, but really you and I must decide whether we'll submit to Satan's temptation. And yet, as I tried to say before, God still used Peter in the midst of his failure and God still will use you. So I want you to keep on trying because there is effort in your DNA, there is endurance in your DNA, and then there is finally excellence in your DNA. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is the Message Bible. Friends, I say you're doing your best by filling your mind and meditating on things that are true, that are noble, that are reputable, that are authentic, that are compelling, that are gracious, and the best and not the worst, 
the beautiful and not the ugly, and the things to praise God and not those things that are of curse. In other words, put into practice the things, says Paul, you've learned from me. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, God will reward your pursuit of excellence, earnestly desire higher gifts. Your DNA says that I want the best for my spiritual life. I want to do all that brings glory to the name of God. I, says Jesus, wants to show you a more excellent way of serving the kingdom. And that's through righteousness and not the practice of sin. I close with this. David failed. Abraham failed. Samson failed, Jacob failed, John Mark failed, even Paul failed, and yet they were all still used of God because they all kept working on their life for the kingdom of God. And for you, I will say, you have to decide that I'm going to keep working on it until I have victory in my life. And you are assured, if you do so, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, consecrate this hour that the word of God as it has gone forth would bless someone in which their life would begin to take a turn that would bring glory to your name. Help us to overcome those challenges to which we struggle with day in and day out. Help us to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth. Help us to make a commitment to read the word of God habitually that we might learn from your word and gain from the word the power we need to overcome sin that it will no longer be victorious or controlling us, but that we in return would control it. We entrust all things to you because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We ask it all in his glorious name. Amen. My brothers and sisters, I invite you today that if you have never made a decision for Christ, if you are trying to figure out how do I overcome this life of disappointment and frustration, I want to invite you to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Harden not your door, your heart. Revelation says that Jesus stands at the door and knock. If you would only open up, he'll come in and have fellowship with you. I want to invite you to embrace his salvation today so that your life can never be the same from this point forward. If you've made that decision, would you do me a favor? Call our church office and say, hey, on Sunday, I made a decision to trust Christ. And from this day forward, I'm going to believe by faith that my life is going to grow into what God would have me to be. We're going to rejoice with you. We're going to invite you to become a part of this church family for we want to be a part of your life as well. And we want to celebrate the great things that God has in store for you. We express our gratitude to each of you for being so kind in supporting us. And right now, we encourage you to take out your electronic advice the device and if you so do if you would pay your tithes and offerings by way of e-giving 
Either you go to our church website and do that, or on your phone, text giving. You'll see that on the screen. Our hearts would be greatly appreciative to your contribution. We thank you likewise for sending your contribution in the mail. However you bless us, we count it a blessing because we know without your support, we would not be able to continue ministry. We thank you for being so kind and so wonderful in making that happen for us. Not only is this the day that the Lord has made and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it, but we want to convey to you that God loves you and so do I. From this day forward, have a blessed, wonderful week in the Lord. And always remember that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen.